When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. Obviously, we have a ton to get to in this episode. I've been gone for a week, but I'm back now. So there's going to be a lot more content flowing this week. Now, I came back to a sell-off. Just today, I'm down 2%, $7,400. Over the past week, I'm down, let's see, $19,000, 5.16%. That's quite the loss in a five-day period. If we look at CNBC's homepage, you know things are bad. And not just because the market's in the red, but because we got this guy's face on the homepage. Whenever you see this face on the homepage of CNBC, you know things are getting real. So in this episode, I'm gonna be going over the markets and explain why they're selling off. I'm also gonna be revealing a new holding in my portfolio that I've already put $10,000 into. So this is going to be another core position in my portfolio, and I'm excited to go over it and explain the entire investment thesis in this video. And we also have some news. The jury finally came to a verdict and they convicted Elizabeth Holmes on four of 11 counts. So we're going to go over this. I'll give you my reaction and why I think this was a great outcome to this case. So as always, if you haven't already, hit the thumbs up button, hit the subscribe button with the bell so you get notifications. On this channel, we do things real. I don't just talk about the market and pontificate on it. I actually show you my investments, my portfolio, and my returns week by week, every single week. And I'll be doing that all throughout 2022. So if you want to see real money at stake week by week with total transparency, you can follow along for free on YouTube by subscribing. The Joseph Carlson Show is also going to be available on every major podcast platform, so check it out there as well. Now let's go over the markets for the past five days. This is the past week. You'll notice that some parts of it are bright green and most of it is red. It looks like a Christmas tree overall. We have Microsoft, Apple, Adobe, Nvidia, Google, Amazon, Salesforce, Intuit, right? ServiceNow, uh, uh, you know, all these different tech companies are red. And then we have certain companies that are in the green. They're mostly in the financial or energy category. We have ExxonMobil in the green, Chevron. We have all the different energy and oil companies, pipe companies. We have financial companies like MasterCard. PayPal's in the red a little bit, but that's kind of a tech company. We have Berkshire, which is a combination of tech and finance well in the green over the past week. So you notice this trend here that's happening. They call it a rotation. That's the word that you're going to hear in finance a lot. The market is rotating out of tech into finance and energy. And most of this has to do with one subject in particular, a man that you've been hearing about a lot, which is Jerome Powell. Gene Munster is a tech analyst. He's been covering these companies for like 10 plus years. He's been covering all the big tech companies and all the ones related to it. And he explains why he thinks this rotation from tech to finance and energy is happening and how it's all centered around Jerome Powell. What the Fed is doing and uh, to put some perspective on that, what caught my attention yesterday was, of course, the balance sheet. The size was a little bit bigger. The minutes suggested that the runoff is going to be a little bit quicker. That was a surprise to the market. The market does not like surprises. And if we uh, step back and think about what the Fed has done over the last few months, it has been a series of surprises. Gene is exactly correct here. The Fed has given us surprise after surprise. Way back in September, they were saying no rate hikes until 2023. 
They didn't even anticipate any rate hikes in 2022. Then a few months later, they're saying, hey, by the way, we're going to do three rate hikes in 2022 over this timetable. Then fast forward only three weeks from there, they bump up the date again and say, not only are we going to be doing three rate hikes, but we're going to move up the time. And we're also going to be reducing our balance sheet at a more aggressive rate. So the Fed is changing its timeline over and over again, shocking investors, causing this sell-off. Now, Gene says that this is probably going to lead to a further wind down in the QQQ in particular, these tech companies. And he explains why. I think the market is going to continue to wind down because historically, uh, especially the tech sector, like you said, because these high multiple stocks, historically, the market would suggest ahead of Fed rates, the Fed uh, interest uh, rate increases. There's still another, an additional five to 10 percent downside to to the Nasdaq. And so I just kind of anchor this, uh, think about the near term and think about this anxiety. And I don't think we're done. Maybe the market's up a little bit in the next few days. Maybe it's down. But until investors feel the Fed has a strong uh, handle on this, I think we're going to continue to move lower. He says that there's room for another 5 to 10% drop in the NASDAQ, which would obviously be a pretty big move downward. Now, this is all just a bit of a guessing game. Investors really don't know how much the NASDAQ will move down or how long rotations will work. If they did, investors would be able to time these things perfectly. But as you know, it's not really good to try to time every rotation in the market. That's not the game that we try playing. Instead, my goal is to invest in high-quality assets and hold them throughout multiple rotations, hoping that over time these companies grow into bigger companies and are ultimately a lot more valuable. Now, with that said, and this current trade and rotation out of tech, I think it opens a lot of opportunity to invest in tech. And that's what I've been doing with a new investment in BST. BST is BlackRock's Science and Technology Trust. It is a closed-end fund, and I've invested just a bit over $11,000 into this fund. Now, BST is a little bit more complicated than just a passive ETF, so I want to explain the entire investment thesis with this trust and why I find it really an attractive investment. Let's go ahead and go through some of the basics here. The BlackRock Science and Technology Trust is a perpetual closed-end equity fund. Perpetual meaning that this fund never has an end date. BST commenced operations in October of 2014 with the investment objective of providing income and total return through a combination of current income, current gains, and long-term capital investments. BST is a covered call selling fund, meaning that they sell covered call options on individual holdings and they generate a massive amount of income with that. But they're also focused on total return. And they've been doing a really good job at that so far. They say that at least 80% of the money in this fund will be invested in tech companies of any market capitalization range. So they can pick from a pool of almost any tech company. Now, all of this is a bit confusing. It's a lot to take in. So let me break this down even further. First of all, BST is an actively managed closed-end fund. And that's important to know. It's actively managed by managers at BlackRock. They invest in tech companies, and they can invest in tech companies anywhere of any size. Most of the top holdings are pretty recognizable names, ones that you've seen before. The fund is geographically diversified, with 75% in the United States and the rest of it all across the world. The fund is also diversified in all different types of tech companies. Software and services making up the biggest portion, then semiconductors, then media, then tech hardware, 
retailing, and so on and so forth. So it's a somewhat diversified fund, all in tech, but across geography and sector. But one thing that you really have to keep in mind is remember, it is an actively managed fund, not passive, meaning it's not market cap weighted. The portfolio managers of this fund can move money from one holding to the next as they see fit. Now, this does leave them with a lot of flexibility, a lot of discretion, but so far they've done a really good job. And one of the cool things about it being a closed-end fund is this gives them even further discretion to make private investments. So not only can they invest in public companies, and they do with companies like Shopify, Snowflake, PayPal, and MongoDB, those are all ones you and I can invest in, but they've also used this capital to make investments in private companies, ones that you and I cannot trade, like Patreon. This is one that everyone's familiar with. Patreon is a growing company, it's private right now, and they have a stake in this company. They've also invested in Discord, the chat service everyone's familiar with. They have a private stake in this company, making up 0.4% of the portfolio. So I have no way of really investing in Discord and Patreon outside of a closed-end fund like this. And I like that they give you access to these awesome growing tech companies that so far are private and I'd have to wait until they become public to invest in them. Now, another thing that's unique to BST compared to other actively managed funds like JEPI or QILD is that they really run it as an actively managed fund. For example, when they do covered call options, they actually do them on individual holdings. They sell them strategically on all their individual holdings. They don't just sell them on the entire index like JEPI or QILD. Now, all this covered call option selling leads to a ton of income generation, and that's where these massive monthly dividends come into play. BST pays a stable monthly dividend every single month, and then once in a while they have these massive distributions that are like special dividends. And right now, the trailing distribution is at a 6% yield. So this is way higher than almost every other investment you can get. There's not many companies that have a 6% dividend yield right now. Now, I know with the high-yielding monthly dividend, that's all a good thing. But you might be saying, Joseph, wait, didn't you sell out of JEPI because it was paying a high-yielding monthly dividend and you're paying a lot of income tax on that? That is correct. I did sell out of JEPI because I was paying a lot of income taxes based on the yield that I was getting. But BST does something special here. It seems like most covered called funds are taxed as income, meaning that it's just like your income tax. You pay high taxes on it if you're in a high income bracket. But BST is different. Somehow they've managed to make it so that every single distribution, every monthly dividend plus their special dividends have been taxed 100% as long-term capital gains. How they do this, I don't exactly know, but these managers are able to make it so that you're essentially paying long-term capital gains on all of the dividends. And this is very beneficial for someone that's in a higher tax bracket. That means that I can enjoy this 6% yield and these huge monthly dividends and pay very minimal taxes on them. So with my overall goal to create passive income and do it in a tax-efficient way, BST seems to fit very well with that goal. It creates a lot of monthly passive income, and it's taxed in a very friendly way. But monthly income is okay. We also want to have capital appreciation, and this is where BST also shines. Like the prospectus states, not only do they have the goal of constant income generation, they also have the goal of total returns, and they've been showing that with their performance. Look at BST compared to the S&P 500 or the QQQ. Over the past five years, it's outperformed both of them by a large margin. So not only are they giving you this monthly income, but they're also outperforming both notable benchmarks. In fact, the total return with dividends and capital appreciation combined since inception was 24.26%. That's really good. That's beating the QQQ. Since the last five years, it was 29% annualized. 
that is incredibly good returns. Now, obviously, I don't expect these returns to stay like this forever because we did have a huge run with tech companies. And even though BST has had great returns over the past five years, the returns over the past trailing year have been disappointing. They've in fact been pretty flat. With dividend yield, it's been slightly in the green. So the past year has been a letdown for BST investors, but they attribute this mostly to the sell-off in software companies. And the BST managers have said, even though software companies sold off like crazy in 2021, we were still able to at least preserve the capital. So they were basically flat for 2021. And unless the sell-off in software really continues all throughout 2022, I do think they'll have a brighter future. I think that the sell-off in tech can't last forever. Now, having said all of this, there's a lot that I like about this fund. There is one major downside, which is the expense ratio. It's pretty high at 1%. And if you compare this to a passive ETF, this would be extraordinarily high. But this is not a passive ETF. With passive ETFs, you don't get portfolio managers that can make changes on the fly and use discretion to change around the portfolio allocation. You also don't have the ability to have private investments in a passive ETF like Patreon or Discord. And you're not going to find a passive ETF that has a very strategic covered call selling strategy on individual holdings that generates a massive amount of monthly income. So even with the downside that BST has a slightly higher expense ratio, I think all the upsides and positives make up for it. The strategic covered call selling strategy generating constant income income, the long track record of outperformance, and the private investments are all very attractive. So I'm currently buying into this holding and I plan to make it a bigger position in the future. Now I've also made another minor change with my portfolio. You might notice that the pharmaceutical section is no longer here. That's because I sold out of my last healthcare company, which was AbbVie. AbbVie was a smaller holding of mine, and I think it's a great company that probably has a bright future. But I've been looking to sell this company for a while. As I've outlined before, I'm not really good at doing analysis on pharmaceutical companies. They're just a completely different type of company that's very complicated, and it's not one that I really wanted to do in-depth research on. So I've been looking for the optimal time to exit out of AbbVie. And I've been watching this stock month after month go up and down and trade all over the place. And then if I just zoom into the past year, over the past two months, the company's price has traded up around 26%. It's at all-time highs over a longer time period. There's a lot of positive sentiment with AbbVie. People are bidding up the price of this company, and I thought that this is probably a decent time to exit out of the position and take my gains. So with the sale of AbbVie, in combination with a $400 dividend from Vici Properties, I was able to buy quite a bit more BST. So part of this purchase into BST comes from the proceeds of AbbVie plus my dividend cash flow. So this is now what my portfolio looks like. And if you want to be able to click into each individual category and see all my holdings, there is an updated link in the description of this video. Now moving on, of course, we have to talk about the Elizabeth Holmes verdict. The jury finally came to a decision. And I must say that the jury did a fantastic job here. Slow clap for the jury. I think they hit the nail right on the head. I predicted for a while that she would not be found guilty on every charge. I said a month ago she would be found guilty on a few charges. And that prediction was based on the fact that some of the things she was being charged with were much more difficult to prove than other things. For example, what she was found guilty of were all the charges related to defrauding individual investors. She was found guilty on four of the 11 charges that she conducted a years-long fraud scheme against investors while running Theranos. Against investors, not against the public. The other charges she was not found guilty of were related to patients. She was found guilty on three of the nine fraud counts, 
and one of the two conspiracy counts. She was acquitted on four counts related to defrauding patients. Now, why did they find her guilty on the charges against investors and not patients? Well, because the burden of evidence is much more difficult for the ones relating to patients. She was found guilty of defrauding investors because that was very simple to prove. She lied continually to investors about current technology, current relationships, the current standing of her company. And you can't do that with investors. That was provable. But prosecutors had a much more difficult time making the case that she intentionally defrauded patients in order for monetary gain. That was a harder burden of evidence. And the jury was smart in this case. They deliberated. They went through what had the strong evidence and they convicted her of that. Some people might be disappointed that she wasn't found guilty on everything, but this might actually work against her. Elizabeth Holmes' mixed verdict could handicap an appeal, lawyers say. The fact that the jury had this careful deliberation and they had nuance and they had a very impartial take on the matter, charging her of some things and not others, makes it more difficult to claim that the jury was biased against her. So now they really can't appeal the case as easily as they could before. So having this mixed verdict against Elizabeth Holmes is probably, in a sense, a slam dunk for the prosecutors. And these aren't small charges she was convicted of. She was convicted of four charges of wire fraud. They can face up to 20 years per charge. Now, it's unlikely that people actually face that amount of time, but I think even a conservative estimate, she's going to probably get sentenced to somewhere around three to four years at a very conservative sentencing. So unless the judge really throws a curveball and does a very light sentencing, she could be facing up to four plus years in prison realistically with just these charges. Now, just a note on this case, there's lots of articles and people saying, wow, they're really going to throw her in jail for just having big dreams and big hopes. There's articles like this from The Verge saying, is Elizabeth Holmes' guilty verdict a wake-up call for startups? This is all complete nonsense. It's not a new thing for entrepreneurs to not be able to lie to investors to get money out of them. That's not something that's new. This has always been illegal. It's been against the rules. And it's not illegal to have big dreams and big hopes and big ambitions. Nothing with that is changing. Elizabeth Holmes didn't only have big ambitions, but she defrauded investors. She falsified documents. She made up relationships. She said her technology currently could do things that it couldn't. She made continual agreements and took investors' money based off of currently false information. And that's exactly what she was found guilty of. So entrepreneurs and startups should not feel any different after this case than before this case. They should know that they can have big ambitions, they can have big goals, but they can't make up stuff about the current standing, relationships, and technologies of their company. So, so far, I think that this case has had the appropriate outcome, and I think the jury did a fantastic job. We'll have to wait to see what she's ultimately sentenced with, but my guess as of right now, this is a complete prediction, so take it with a grain of salt, but I'd guess she's going to be sentenced to around four to five years. But that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I took a week-long vacation, but I'm back now, so there's going to be a lot more content out in the future. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button, and I'll see you in the next one.